If I'm honest, I wasn't prepared for just how pivotal, exceptional, and emotionally moving that this conversation would be. I would really like to invite you to soak in this episode, and I have no doubt it will be one that you return to multiple times. Carmen Atkinson is a passionate wellness and performance-focused health practitioner. She is a plant-based ultra-endurance athlete. She's a multi-sport coach and functional strength instructor, an advocate for personal and spiritual growth, a inspirational speaker, writer, and chiropractor. She is also a longtime dear friend and inspiration. Carmen shares some deeply moving personal stories. At times they're comical and at times they are heart-wrenching. But through these stories, you'll come to learn where her tenacity, determination, strength, wisdom, and drive was cultivated from. It's these characteristics that have taken her on athletic pursuits, which have seen her achieve the following resume. Five Ironman triathlons, including Kona World Championships. Eight half Ironmans, including age group podiums. 12 ultra marathons, including first Australian female at the Comrades Ultra Marathon in South Africa, both 2010 and 2012. Plus 10 or more marathons with a personal best of 314. As you will learn through this episode, it's not about being born with athletic talent. We are all athletes and exploring being curious about our athletic soul can ultimately unveil our hidden potential. And as Carmen put it, my struggle in the water, on the bike, and the pain that comes from hitting the pavement or the trails for hours on end, and the discipline required to get up every day tired and fatigued will never be as torturous as the battle with anorexia. You've done all the right things. You followed the program, but you're tired and the results are hard to come by. You know there has to be a better way. Perhaps you're struggling to put the puzzle pieces together from training, recovery, nutrition, gut health, to hormone health and optimal wellness. Each season on Healing Grumpy Athletes podcast, your host, Katie Pettuccini from Holistic Endurance, will help put the puzzle pieces together and ensure you can achieve and express your athletic potential holistically. Katie is a self-confessed hormone nerd, endurance coach, wellness advocate, and triathlete, here to educate, inspire, and distill wisdom in an effort to shift up endurance norms. Grab yourself an almond latte, a herbal tea, or perhaps a red wine to focus your mind enjoy the show. Welcome back to Healing the Grumpy Athletes. Today I have a wonderful story to share with you and my guest is Carmen Atkinson. She is a chiropractor and ultra endurance athlete on her way to Ultraman 2018. So welcome to the show, Carm. Thanks so much, Katie, for having me. The reason I am excited to have you on the show and wanted to share your story is I feel you have so much to add to an athlete's journey in regards to inspiration, but also methods of keeping an athletic body intact, whether it be nutritionally, functional movement, with your chiropractic skills, and your overall wisdom with many years of 
running and you have your business innate athlete which is all about unveiling the athletic soul so I want to dive right in and go to what does unveiling an athletic soul mean to you thanks Katie um I truly believe that as human beings we're designed to be athletic we're designed to be extraordinary to live these vital, active, zestful lives. And I think as we've become more sedentary or I think it's easy to lose connection to that or certainly maybe for some people they've never connected to it at all. So what I like to do through my coaching and through, I guess, mindset work is to help people own or start to connect to their inner athlete. And I even encourage them to use the vernacular athlete a lot of people come to me having never run and they want to learn how to run a 5K. Um, and right from the get-go, I call them an athlete. And it makes them feel a little bit uncomfortable initially, but I think even just referring them to themselves as an athlete changes their behaviour, it changes their expectations of themselves or it changes their commitment to their training program. So for me, it's wanting to facilitate people to live an extraordinary life and being active is a big part of that. Beyond that, I think, and certainly in my own journey and, and, and since working with athletes, I believe that when we can use a physical platform to explore what we're capable of, that the lessons that show up at training and racing show up in so many other areas of our lives. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's a great opportunity to notice and get curious about what shows up for my athletes and for myself in training and in racing and and where else that might be playing out in our life. And then in the pursuit of being an athlete, we get to become more of ourselves on this, I guess, uh, if we're open to it, a much more soulful journey and and a personal growth journey um, through challenging ourselves to kind of find our athlete. So that's what the the, the innate athlete is largely about for me. Yeah, I love uh, the idea and the message of noticing which I think is where a lot of athletes, because everyone is an athlete in our books, that is pursuing, you know, a physical goal uh, and bettering themselves. The the noticing is, is the hurdle because a lot of us are mindlessly going through life to training sessions, to work, to our home life and relationships. And it's when we start to notice, as you described, we can have a more soulful journey that then provides us with more, I guess, satisfaction, but insight. And I know your journey has provided a lot of insight. So there must be so many, but if you could reflect back on a key insight or a message that running slash triathlon and your endurance pursuits has provided you with by you noticing and paying attention to what it's showing up in your life? Yeah. Um, I guess there's two comments I'll make to, to that. It's that. I Usually at the, at the start of every year, I, I go through a process of coming up with one word that I'm going to use to drive my year or drive my choices or my actions. And my word this year is curiosity. So I want to get curious about how far I can push my body. I want to get curious about what shows up. Even when I take... I take a handful of TRX classes a week or, and with my athletes and I'll just, if they're feeling challenged, I'll just ask them, well, 
what would it look like or what could it look like to run an extra 500 metres or what what could you notice or get curious about what it feels like to do an extra rep or for a, of a hill climb or whatever it might be. So the word for me this year for myself and my athletes is that curiosity, which I think speaks to that noticing and it most certainly brings in more mindfulness about what we do. But we also get to maybe push the envelope to what we think is possible and we, we start to get curious about what's on, what lies on the other side of what we think we're capable of. Um, and for me, I guess that's my biggest message coming to your question is um, my very first ultra marathon in 2007 was the Oxfam 100-kilometre trail walker. And I was in a mixed group of – a mixed team. Um, oh, this is a long story. I'll try and abbreviate. I'll try and keep it short. But I, I struggled early in the race with uncharacteristically tight hamstrings. I'm just not someone that had previously experienced that. But because I was a part of a team, you just – you carry on. Um, and we, we kind of coached each other through the, you know, the ensuing 40, 50, 60 kilometres. And then I really started to struggle at the 70-kilometre mark of this race. And um, I ended up falling over flat on my face at about the 80-kilometre mark in along the Warburton Trail for those that are familiar with the western suburbs of Victoria. And I was just lying there and I had – completely convinced myself that I was done I was in absolutely so much pain um and I'd never known pain like it and my team had ran ahead we weren't far from the next checkpoint so I encouraged them to go ahead because I just needed to be on my own anyway I'm lying face down in the dirt and one of my crew the support crew came back and he put his hand on my shoulder and I whinged and whined about how painful I'm not going to be able to finish this and he just put his hand on my shoulder and said, is the pain you're feeling now more or less than the pain of not finishing this race that you've started? Mm-hmm. And we don't care how long it takes us to get to the finish line, but we're going to get to the finish line as a team. And then he just walked off. So I'm left there with that, <laughs> lying in the dirt, going, and, it, and, it, and then it comes back to this point of curiosity. And it's like, well, what do I need to do right now? Like what's available to me to move forward? And the next action is I just need to find a way to stand up. Like that's my next, that's the only thing I'm capable of or I can make a choice about right now. It's not worrying about how I'm going to get up Mount Donabuang to finish this 100 kilometres. It's how do I get up from lying face down in the dirt? And it was a little bit like a baby giraffe because I couldn't really bend my knees and I found a way to stand up. And then it was, right, I'm standing there, my legs are apart. And so what's my next available option? And so, well, I just need to learn. I just need to take a step. How can I take a step? Again, coming back to curiosity and noticing, it's like, well, I can walk with straight legs. So I basically walked to the next, well, walked with straight legs and then got to a point, well, I wonder what it would feel like to run with straight legs (laughs) and then just ran my way into the check, the last checkpoint. And then we finished, as a team, we finished the last, that 100 kilometres and the last 5Ks was faster (laughs) than any previous 5Ks throughout that 100-kilometre race. And that was my, that was a defining moment for me as an athlete was that when we think we're done, we are so far from being done. But all we can focus on is what, what, what can I do right this very moment to move me forward towards my goal? The goal's always there, but focusing on that and not being present and, and, and through doing that, through that exploration of what can I do next, what can I do, what can I do next, um, we learn that we are far more capable of anything we could ever imagine and that the human body is will continue even to this day 10 what are we 10 11 years later I'm still perplexed 
as to what the what and shocked at times as to what my body allows me to do and what my athletes' bodies allows them to do. Yeah, so, where those boundaries are. I love that story, and I've seen athletes, including you, find that brink. Yeah, hundred percent with conviction, believe that that is the end. That is all they can do. And they turn it around and it has got to be, and I've experienced it myself, but as a coach, it's got to be the most proudest moment to witness uh, when someone reaches that depths of despair, I can't do this, there's no possible way, and then they do. Um, how do you find that that then reflects on your personal life and events thereafter? What does that reaching final point and overcoming it do for you I think it's that through experience comes confidence and comes wisdom and comes a belief that certainly in in life gets tough sometimes you know we've all got stuff outside of our sport and work that's really challenging and I draw on those times when I think I'm just done where I feel like I've just literally physically emotionally spiritually got nothing left and yet you somehow find a way and you do it and they are the proudest moments of your life. And so when I am really struggling or my back's against the wall, you just, you draw on that experience. Oh, well, if I can get through that, I can get through this. And for me, it's taking it a step further and going, what was it that allowed me to get through that previously? What skills, what characteristics, and how can I bring that characteristic into what I'm facing right now? Um, Sounds, it's finding the beauty in the darkness. Yeah, yeah. And there's so much value to hardships, which is, I think, important for those that might have had a bad session today or they're having a rough time in life right now to remember that just because it's dark right now doesn't mean it will be dark forever. Uh, And as you described, be in the moment, focus on what you can do right now just to stand up metaphorically and then take one step forward. I recall your Ironman Melbourne Mm -hmm. uh, presenting you with yet more challenges. Second Ironman Melbourne? Where where you proceeded to vomit the entire race is the one that I'm recalling. (laughs) That was my second Ironman in 2014. Yeah. Tell us about that experience. Pardon? Tell us about that experience and what skills you drew on at that time to help you get through that and push through what I saw as ridiculous circumstances. So, yes, it was my second Ironman and I I really early on in the bike leg um, was vomiting. I just, no matter what I put in, was coming out. And uh, I just, I think it's really easy when bad things happening to make a story or attach it to mean something that it's not yet. Like I don't know, for example, you can start vomiting and I've had athletes that I go, well, I started vomiting at the 10K mark so my race was done. Mm. That's a story. Like so I just had this, well, I'm vomiting but I'm not going to make it mean anything. I'm not going to make it mean my race is done. I'm not going to make it mean I'm not going to get through uh, the 180s on the bike, 180K on the bike and I'm not going to make it mean I can't run. So yeah, I'm vomiting and it's not very comfortable and it tastes disgusting and <laughs> um, I've got it all over me but I'm just going to keep eating, trusting that and drinking, trusting that something's going to go in and it can't all be coming out. Um, 
And that was, I just, and I almost tried to make a comedy of it. Someone, I felt someone at one point was too close behind me <laughs> drafting. And, you know, I started, I was vomiting again and, and he kind of made a horrible sound. I'm like, wow, that teach serve you for, <laughs> for drafting. But I just kind of tried to see the humor in it really. And I, we are story making machines and we've got to be mindful about what stories we're making experiences mean that you know it might not be that so why don't we make it a story about something that's going to continue us to achieve our goals if that makes sense um so yeah so I I got off the bike having vomited pretty much the whole way and then I actually had a a really really good run um right on you know the the pace I was hoping for and again I, I I went through a phase on the run where I got really quite dizzy and but it was just to notice it. And, again, it's that question I constantly ask myself when things aren't going right. Well, what can I do right now? Because we can spiral into that conversation in our head about, well, this is it and I feel sick and I'm not going to be able to do this. Or it's, okay, what am I noticing? I'm dizzy. Well, what can I do about it? Um, and find a solution or slow down or walk for a little bit or try something different to eat. And watermelon seemed to be my saviour in that race and it seemed to be the only thing that didn't Mm, uh, set me too much so for the whole mm. second half of the marathon I wherever and whenever I could I was <laughs> swallowing uh watermelon so yeah that was that was 2014 <laughs> it was your mantra this too shall pass this too shall pass yeah, yeah that's a, I still use that a yeah. lot yeah uh, yeah this too shall pass this I think that's a pass. great one and mantras are something that I use a lot in in, in training and in racing I um I I yeah, I think it brings you back to the present moment, but it also distracts you from spiraling into negative dialogue. Um, but yeah, this two shall pass is one of my favorites. Yeah, me too. I definitely utilize that and implore athletes too. And similar, um, likewise, what you said before, I love that forward projection of if I stepped forward, even though I believe I can't right now, if I did, what would happen? Or if I took x action right now how would my future self feel like the the man at oxfam said to you what's worse the pain of your face right now or not not finishing and i think that forward projection is a great technique for athletes to to utilize it's like okay i feel like giving up okay if i do how will my future self feel will i feel ashamed will um will it feel like the right decision and it's a great way to uh basically get like a, a wiser self's uh, advice when you're in in the hole i'm using that a little bit at the moment with training so i'm six weeks out from ultraman australia and and look most of my days now start between 3 30 and 4 30 in the morning and i'm you know training from 26 to 32 hours away and like it is just <laughs> it's full on um and there's times when you just want to snooze hit the snooze button and you don't want to do it and it's like well I have never, ever, ever regretted doing a session. Never, sorry, never regretted. Yeah, never regretted doing a session, but I've often regretted, no, almost no. always regretted the sessions that I chose not to do. And so it is that, yeah, it is 3.30 and I don't feel like riding my bike for seven hours today on my own, but how am I going to feel if I don't do it? And that is, for me, that does not sit comfortably. <laughs> my future self does not like that at all. So um, that's often what's one of the strategies or the questions that I ask myself in the morning to get myself out of bed if, you know, I happen to not be feeling like my training that day. And coming into Ultraman, for those that don't know what Ultraman is, step us through the event and the distances involved. 
I would love to. <laughs> um, so Ultraman Australia is a, a three-day ultra-distance triathlon. So um, it's held. The one in Australia is held in Noosa. This is our or the fourth year that it's been held in Australia. Day one is a ten-kilometer ocean swim, followed by 145 kilometers on the bike. It's a very hilly course. Our, uh, the course up here at Noosa. So it's about 1,400, 1,500 meters of elevation over the course of that 145 kilometers. So it's a it's really tough riding on day one. Day two is a 280-kilometer bike ride. Um, again, not very flat. And then day three is a double marathon, so 84-kilometer run. Mm. So it's 515 kilometers in total over three days. You have 12, 12 hours each day to meet the cutoff. So if you don't finish a, a day's activities in the 12 hours – um, you can continue, but but effectively you don't get the completion of uh, or a, an Ultraman uh, official result. Mm, yeah. So yeah. I had the pleasure of being your crew captain at Ultraman last year. Mm-hmm. Shall we take listeners to uh, what happened on that, those days? Oh, yes, we can. <laughs> I'm even nervous about bringing this one up. I don't know about you. <laughs> Far out. <laughs> yeah. So Ultraman last year, sort of leading into it, uh, the way the, the reason I got into wanting to do Ultraman was, I'll, t- I'll go back a little bit further, was, um, as I said, I did my first ultramarathon in 2007. And then throughout, oh, right through into 2012, 2013, ultramarathon running was my thing. Like I, just, I went over to South Africa and raced the Comrades 90-kilometre mar- ultramarathon mm-hmm. three times and there's a f- bunch of trail runs that I've done. So long distance, that long, long distance running was what I just had come to love, um, but, you know, through the, through the well, mid-2000s, I suppose. But I always had in the back of my mind that I wanted to do an Ironman. Was this, I'll do an Ironman before I'm 40. I grew up in the 80s where you watched the Hawaii Ironman on the wide world of sports on, <laughs> on Saturday, Sunday morning, on Saturday mornings and so I knew of it and always wanted to do it. And then in 2012, I watched the first Melbourne Ironman and a week later, didn't even have a bike, signed up for my first Ironman in 2013 and then did my second one in 2014. And it was around 2014 that I read a book called Finding Ultra by Rich Roll. Um, that book has single-handedly <laughs> changed the direction of my life in many ways. Um, and it was around the same time that I had met um, Craig Percival and his beautiful wife, Lyndall Percival, who owned the aqua shop in South Melbourne where I bought my wetsuits for my first Ironman. And Craig himself had done Ultraman. So there was this confluence of influences around that time, 2014, where I just thought, Ultraman, this is like kind of, it's the summation of my love of Ironman and ultramarathon running. So that was where the seed was planted. And then um, I wasn't quite ready and Craig used to try to influence me to, to s- nominate myself for the event. And it wasn't until I moved to the Sunshine Coast where I felt that this was my time. So in 2000 and, well, the end of 2016 when I got invited to do Ultraman, I started training. I have never, I don't believe I've ever trained so hard and so committed and so consistently as I did. That is a um, huge call coming from you for those of you who don't know <laughs> Carmen. She is has been incredibly dedicated uh, and driven and focused her entire life when it comes to athletic ability and endurance running. And we will go back to that story. So when she says she's never been this committed, 
just take it to another level. <laughs> and I think I mean, one of the, I feel one of the roles of a coach is, and, and I've got the amazing coach, Kate, um, Kate Bevilacqua, who is a previous world champion of Ultraman. She's based in WA. And, and I think one of the roles as a coach is to see in us ability that we have yet recognised in ourselves. Mm. And it's their job to meet us where we're at but take us on a journey far beyond what we what we think is possible. So I would get some of the programs from Kate, you know, on a, a, over a week and I just would look at the program and think, is she serious? Like I don't know how I'm going to do all that. And yet she, you know, I was just focused on one session at a time, one week at a time, and I was doing distances and intensities and swimming further than I've ever swum and ridden further than I've ever <laughs> And my training runs were upward of 50 kilometres. And yet I was doing this without getting injured. And so I think Kate was getting the balance right and I was looking after my body right. And um, so I went into 2017 Ultraman very determined and I'm very com- I'm competitive by nature. So whilst I never go in with the expectation of winning or podium, I, I certainly like to be curious about how far and, and how high can I place? You know, it is with that sense of curiosity. Well, how far and how hard can I push myself? Um, so I went in feeling the best I've ever felt really in my life and I I got into the water. Swimming for me is not something that comes easily. There's a whole story we could talk about my relationship with swimming. But That's on my list. Don't you worry. I'm taking you there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with open water swimming. So for me, this last year with the open water swim was just survival it was I, I really wasn't sure whether I could do it despite having done 8k ocean swims at training and 10k pool swims I just I really struggled with the belief that I could could get through it and yet on the day oh, it that just, moment. I felt, it, it, it's one of and it is to, it is absolutely one of the highlights of my life mm. um, and I've got a beautiful video recording of you like you taped it on your phone yeah. and you your voice mm-hmm. of me coming out of the water because you know the journey I've had with swimming and then yep. Judy one of my um, best friends is on the shoreline ready to catch me and we just embraced and um, so I ended up doing the swim in three hours and 29 minutes and my absolute I, uh, goal was if I could swim this in under 3.30, like that is amazing. So 3.29 and there was some mild hysteria on the shoreline at Noosa when I finished that race, finished that section of the, the swim. And then I jumped on the bike and I, I was riding well, I felt, and in hindsight was riding too aggressively. Um, I... Because I'm not a great swimmer with Ironman and in previously years trying to chase getting to Kona, um, I know I'm going to come out of the water well deep in the field. And when you're trying to qualify for Kona, there's a lot of ground to make up to finish in those top, you know, three spots to get a spot to Kona. And so I'm used to the mentality of chasing on the bike and on the run, particularly the run. Um, and I think in hindsight, and look, it's wonderful to look back and there's so many lessons I've learned from last year, but um I, I didn't disrespect the event, but I disrespected, I think, the onimity the of it and the fact that the mindset of an Ironman athlete needs is different to the mindset of an Ultraman athlete. It's a different beast altogether. And I think I went in with this mentality of trying to chase and trying to make up spots when I just didn't need to. I just needed to ride smart and conservative and manage my nutrition and be present when I'm riding and stop worrying about other athletes and whatever else is happening and just focus on 
the thing that I needed to do. It's a great hard lesson to learn. <laughs> it was a very hard lesson. But when, anyone... when at the 90-kilometre mark I um, was coming down a hill and I still don't recall what happened, um, whether I blacked out and fell or fell and blacked out. I don't know, but I was knocked unconscious and you can probably tell more of the story um, from there. But I ended up at the, at the Gympie Hospital in, in, on the Sunshine Coast with um, you know, lost teeth and a break, lost skin off my face and head injury and later found out I had three fractures in my hand. And um, so, yeah, it was a very hard lesson, but that was – look, oh, there's so many things. So many hindsights. Well, <laughs> But there are plenty of hindsights. But what I was going to say is you would be, I would be forgiving for that. I mean, we've also got this video footage of you riding into second place. And that was an exceptional moment uh, because I also recall how much you struggled with riding when you started the mission of, of Ironman back in the day. It didn't necessarily come naturally to you in terms of the desire coming from that ultra running background that you found so natural so even though Carmen is doing these amazing feats I also want to respect that you have had a huge journey to get where you have in terms of biking ability as well and so to get it I mean you come off that high of the swim and to get excited of of playing around at second and third place I think most people it, it would be hard not to get caught up in that um but yes that moment of so what's involved with ultraman is you can have a crew of two to four people that must be with you uh throughout the the three days and uh if they follow you in a van uh so we were in a van there's not much reception out there but we're in we're standing in a pocket of reception got a phone call uh and the phone call was they said to me carmen's crashed She's on the road at the bottom of the hill. So we obviously went to the bottom of the hill and um, I won't be able to tell the story because I will cry about um, what happened <laughs> What happened there after of already crying. Um, it was uh, not a pretty sight and, yeah, as we drove up, I was definitely concerned that I'd lost one of my best friends. I think it was harder for you in that moment than me. <laughs> yeah, she, she was out cold. She was fine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember at all. <laughs> um, and then when she came to, our next concern was obviously her cognition because she was very repetitive <laughs> in her questions that she was asking us. And uh, what then uh, was a 40-minute wait for an ambulance because we were in a bit of a rural area was the worst 40 minutes of my life. So, yes, we got her to hospital and, I mean, the, the crash site and what we saw and how you went down on your face to come away the way you did was incredibly lucky. Um, I think that's what's – because what uh, the following weeks to months, and I still have some rough days to be honest, but it's – I've – I went to a pretty dark place in, me, like in those weeks after Ultraman. I was just so completely and utterly devastated um, with the outcome, but gratitude for my life mm. <laughs> and gratitude for having a crash like that and having the injuries, you know, really fairly minor given the severity of the crash. I just, I'm just so, so grateful. Um, 
and that's what it was that appreciation for my body's ability to withstand that and to recover that has allowed me to mentally get over the pain of crashing Mm -hmm. um, and not finishing that race Um, and it's it's what has been a major driver to me I mean I never doubted that I would come back this year and have another crack at it but there's certainly times where I'm I really had to think about why I wanted to come back and I didn't really wasn't enjoying the process and I certainly wasn't enjoying riding and I still have you know I'm still much more cautious on the bike now than what I was last year um but I just ride with gratitude I ride with more presence and I ride with gratitude for the fact that I'm still here alive and not you know injured in a way that meant I couldn't continue this sport so Mm. yeah Yeah, I am I am Equally grateful, that's for sure. Sure. I know, <laughs> I know that that crash doesn't define you, nor does it define this year's Ultraman. Yeah. So tell me about your why for this year. I was really careful. Of it. I thought about this a lot because I think it's very easy to then think, well, the reason I'm doing this year is just to, I guess, make amends for last year. But I don't want it to be about that. I just feel... My Ultraman journey is two years long. It's not just a year long. I had a crack at it last year and it, it didn't turn out. But it's my, So my why is still the same as what it was the first time around and that is um, to demonstrate and in, to myself and to others and to inspire others about the capacity of the human body. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm very focused on nutrition and looking after my body in a way that I think is easily uh, – it's easy – um, to not pay attention to the little things. So I want to demonstrate through getting to the start line uninjured and through getting through three days, you know, well and healthy and um, I don't know, just to demonstrate what, what's possible really. I'm, I didn't word that as well as I would have loved, but it's just that drives me. And when people ask what's Ultraman and you see their mouth go agape at the distances that they themselves might turn around and think, well, what's possible for me? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what that's that's my biggest motivation. Yeah, it did that for me watching you and the whole event of those three days, but particularly that presentation day, which is so unique and special. And for those that perhaps question or don't have the desire and motivation to complete the distances of an Ultraman, go and crew, go and be part of a team and volunteer because it is a very special experience even if you're not an athlete um, competing Uh, yeah it is so much more than you as you've described it's a a soulful journey Uh, last year you did Craig Proud and I have no doubt that you'll do Craig Proud again this year uh, even just in the training so you mentioned earlier that swimming hasn't been and wasn't your (laughs) favorite thing on earth (laughs) <laughs> how has because last year the swim build and the training there was a lot of fear and apprehension wrapped around how on earth and i am i going to swim 10 kilometers in the ocean mm. now that you've nailed that goal and totally exceeded uh what you thought was possible how's it different this year i certainly feel like there is there's no denying that swimming still doesn't come easily to me um, and I still have a level of anxiousness about it. Um, but I go in this year knowing that I've done it before and it's the same like we were talking about before. I, 
I, it's that, that experience of having completed it. I'm not now worrying, can I do this? I know I can do it. So the question more is, well, how can I do it more efficiently? How can I do it with less anxiousness? And how can I do it um, a little bit quicker? <laughs> you know, I'd like to, I'd really like to, to do it at least, you know, 10, 15 minutes faster than last year. So the question isn't so much, can I do it? It's how can I do it better? How can I do it more efficiently? And how can I get out of the water um, in, in a way, you know, having uh, in nourished or not, not dehydrated or had enough fuel in me that I can still ride well for the 145 Ks that follows. Um, so that this year is different in that I'm doing a lot more squad swimming. So last year I did all uh, predominantly all my swimming on my own. Um, lots of six, seven, eight K swim sets in the pool. And I was swimming in the ocean um, at least once a week, you know, I guess anything from two to six kilometers. Um, whereas this year I, I really wanted to work on um, technique and efficiency and confidence in the water. Even even if I had a – it sounds absurd, but I'd have a 7K swim set and the whole time I was fighting anxiety, mm. would I get through it and <laughs> would I get through the next 100 metres? Or I'd read the set and it might have, I don't know, 10, 150s, for example, or – whatever it might be, and I look at the set and think, I don't know that I can do that. Whereas so this year I just wanted to save that level, that energy. I didn't want to be worried about getting through every session. So I decided to join a swim squad and um, I've never worked so hard in the pool, I, I, the intensity um, of the swimming. and But it's all the coach has also brought it back to being much more mindful and sim- simplifying my stroke not trying to think about too much, just thinking about my body position and my breathing fundamentally and when I can control those two, everything else follows. So um, there's always – there is still anxiety there with swimming but I I feel like I'm not – my, I'm not using as much well, you're not grap- energy. Yeah, you're not grappling stress. with it. And no, I'm not. Again, a really important message and inspiration for athletes that no matter what the discomfort, whether it be pain, fear, anxiety, apprehension, we're not trying to get rid of it or shove it away or bury it. It's notice it, accept it, embrace it and carry on with it, which it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing. So I'm feeling. I'm actually. I'm. I'm excited. I'm. I'm excited about what the 10k swim will bring. This oh my year. god! I'm, I can't oh. believe those words just came out of your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I know. What? Um, yeah. I'm looking. I, I, there's a. There's an element of. Again, I, I acknowledge that there's still anxiety there, but um, it, juxtapose that is this kind of eagerness to see what I'm capable of this year, and not just survive it. But can I swim closer to 3:10 this year as opposed to 3:30? Um, yeah, so let's see. Time will tell in about Stay seven tuned. weeks' time. Yeah. <laughs> By the time this episode comes out, it'll probably be about four weeks out. So make well, sure we'll give everyone Carmen's uh, social media details to track her journey and stay in touch i know i will be glued to my phone for three days i'm shattered i'm not going to be there this year but uh, i'll be sending strength from afar to achieve ultraman to overcome last year mentally and physically and all the ultra endurance uh, events you've done comrades for three years there was one year I recall you ran with a broken foot for the last 20 kilometers 
No, there's, there are so many stories we can draw on that essentially emulate this strength, tenacity, extreme focus and diligence, you're very strong-willed. Where does that all come from? Well, this probably leads to a story of um, how do I go into this? My, my background, I, I guess I've always been a bit of a perfectionist, a bit of a perfectionist. It's an oxymoron, it. isn't it? Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm very driven, internally driven to be the best that I can be. And that can work very, very well for us and allow for great success, but it can also be a huge um, sabotage to health and happiness. So throughout, and this started very, very early for me, but throughout my even adolescence into my teenage years, I battled with eating disorders, anorexia, bulimia, and I think in that quest to be more, to be, show my worth to be prettier, fitter, stronger, thinner. Um, and I, I got into a very, very, I, got, I was very, very sick, particularly around 18 years to 21 years of age. Um, there's so much to this story, I mean, those, but I think it was. You can, you can go into it. I mean, those, those were pivotal years. You were studying chiropractic at that time, right? Well, I had in 1995, excuse me, my age, but in 1995 I was 18 and I flew over to Alabama for nearly 12 months to work at a camp with kids with disabilities. So I put my studies on hold. I was studying human movement or sports science at the time and had really, up until this point, I had really been battling with, with bulimia more at, at this point. Um, you know, I, I had a history of vomiting and taking laxatives and all sorts of really unhealthy behaviour and very... Uh, dysmorphia, really didn't like my, the skin that I was in, didn't feel worth much, didn't feel pretty and, and athletic or anything. I just really struggled with self-acceptance. And I had this opportunity to go to Alabama in 95. And for me, it was not to escape, but I felt like it was a line in the sand to say, from this point on, I remember the, I remember the plane flight, in fact. I was 18, but I remember the plane flight, several plane flights to get to Alabama. And I remember... I journal a lot, so I write down a lot, but I was writing that my life as I know it can't be the same. Like I cannot continue this journey of self-destruction. And I was to get off that plane in Alabama in the, you know, South, Southern America. No one knows me. So I'm going to recreate the version of myself that I perhaps feel I have lost. And so it was I'm no longer going to take vaccines. I'm no longer going to um, make myself sick. I'm going to... So it was more about, I mean, I was only 18, so it was more about what practical things I can do to turn this ship around, so to speak. And and from that day, I have never done either of those behaviours. But what happened was I became stricter and stricter and stricter with the foods that I would eat. So I was trying to put out this, portray this image of this healthy Australian girl and look out, you know, I, I eat mainly fruit and veggies and um, I don't eat a lot of anything else. And, and I just, the rules... I like to live by rules, but the rules I gave myself became stricter and stricter. And so I went over there in the May 1995, weighing around 55 kilos. And in the November of that same year, I weighed about 36 kilos. Oh, so I had lost 20 kilos in a matter of six months. So I was very, I was very, very, very unwell. Um, I ended up I guess the pivotal moment over there was in, within the southern band of, of America. They have hurricanes and we don't have hurricanes over here, so it was a quite a foreign experience to me. And everyone just 
kind of takes cover. And I remember sitting in this broom cupboard um, and I've written about this over the time. I've had an opportunity to write this in, in blogs and guest pieces. But um, I remember sitting in this broom cupboard with sores down my spine because you just I'm just so thin and I'm so skinny. Um, and so I'm trying to crouch into this cupboard to find a comfortable place to retreat and yet I was in so much pain because my bones were sticking out and my clothes were rubbing on my sores. And, and then on the outside of this cupboard there's this hurricane and these noises and the roofs are caving in and furniture is being dragged along the floor and hail and rain and wind and I just thought, I don't know what's worse, like being in this cupboard with myself or being out there kind of in this hurricane. Like I just felt equal, they felt equal level of destruction, to be honest with you, and it was a defining moment where I thought if I leave this cupboard and put myself in harm's way, maybe my the torture of this anorexic mind and this anorexic pain will be done. Mm. But I decided to stay in that cupboard. And, but, again, it was one of those moments where I just thought, but I can't keep going the way I'm going. Like this is, this is no way to live. And if I leave this cupboard, I have to start my journey back to healing and health, maybe for the first time. Um, I ended up writing a letter to my auntie and just explained that I was not in a great way. And her and my mum <laughs> flew over to Alabama to come and rescue me. And, um, and so I began my journey. It really was quite a way back but I, I had reached my rock bottom um but it was a chiropractor actually so despite I've you know I've been home now several months and we've, we've grown up with chiropractic care and I, I went and saw our family chiropractor you know for no other reason that that's just what we did as a family with chiropractic was a very big part of our um our health maintenance and and Dr Roddy put his hands on my spine and I was lying on the table and he just said your body's amazing mm. and I said well what do you mean everyone's telling me you know I'm still weighing around 40 kilos, I suppose. I said, everyone's telling me how bad I am. I'm not referring to how you look aesthetically, but just have a think about, because I can see you're in struggle and I know how much you're in struggle right now. And yet you still go to uni, you're studying, you're here, you're engaging. I said, how, how is it? How amazing is the human body that it's allowing you to keep going despite the depths of your struggle? And that's the gift of chiropractic in my mind, not in this instance, but is any. I think chiropractors look at the world and human body very differently. We look at what's right with it and what's perfect about it um, and, and its capacity for self-healing. And it was a perspective I hadn't heard before. So I walked home. I walked everywhere because I was still obsessed with counting calories and calories in and calories out. So I, I used to keep a little notebook in my pocket and I would write down what I would eat and how many kilometres I walked that day and just to try to kind of stay on top of my weight gain at that point. Um, but that notebook served a different purpose that day. I came home from the chiropractor and I started writing, what are the strengths that have allowed me to do anorexia well? Mm -hmm. And they are the same strengths that allow me to run ultramarathons well and and get up from crashing my bike last year and do this again. It's, it is tenacity. It, it takes enormous tenacity and willpower and sacrifice to deny myself food for the pursuit of something. Now, that's a very distorted and negative expression of my strengths. But my chiropractor, I guess, allowed me to explore what those strengths were. And if I was to just simply apply them to something that was more positive in my life, 
what could I achieve? So when you ask, well, what is it that, you know, how did I come about the tenacity? I think they are skills that I, or traits that I have that I use in a very negative way, but refined, <laughs> if you want to, like just in terms of kind you of shifting the perspective them. on my anorexic journey, to now like they, that, that level of self-sacrifice and determination and planning and will and discomfort are the same skills that I had when I was really, really unwell. But now I use it in a way that serves my life positively. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Sorry if that was a long story. No, but that's it was perfect. Uh, it's an incredibly powerful message uh, and no doubt many people will relate. And for those that perhaps haven't struggled with a, an eating disorder, it's a similar concept if you look at any struggle in your life and you might see a black cloud over it, but there is an opportunity to see characteristics and identify them, notice them, and then channel them into something positive like Karma's just described. It's, she's channeled that commitment determination tenacity and focus into a positive outlet so from that day forward when you uh, identified those strengths and thought okay this is an alternate way or alternate view what happened after that Um, I applied for chiropractic college (laughs) (laughs) and it was that was really around the time when um well, I, I did try. I started doing triathlons and running in the late '90s there for a while. So it, it's when I I started to become a lot more active and and run with the purpose of not burning calories, but run for performance. So it was a long road back. I'm not. It was definitely not linear either. It was very undulated for oh, a good part of a decade. I would say right throughout my twenties was tough and putting weight on and learning to love myself and I did a lot of therapy and got a lot of support and um, but slowly but surely I wanted to be of service to the world mm-hmm. and for me that was through being a, an inspired chiropractor and leading by example and an athlete and I can't be either of those things well if I'm not looking after myself. So the focus around food and my weight and my body shifted from you know, being thin or looking a certain way to performance. How can I perform at my best in the role of a healer? How can I perform at my best as an athlete to inspire others, you know, to do their own, to follow their own athletic goals? And so that's, and again, it certainly wasn't easier and it it didn't happen overnight, but that was where that gradual shift of focus became more, less about how I looked and more about how I perform and how I can be of service to the world. Mm -hmm. Um, and I can't if I'm, you know, not well and frail and um, unhealthy. Yeah. Um, look, thank you so much for for sharing that. It's not it's not easy um, to be vulnerable and open. But I can see that, and I know this of you. Uh, you're driven to impact other others' lives, uh, whether they're athletes or your patients with chiropractic care. Mm. And uh, I think that as a, co- as a coach, as a clinician, it serves you brilliantly. Uh, Carmen and her brother Brad have been my chiropractors, goodness, 12 years? 
Wow. Yes. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. For a very long time. And uh, I too have had a similar experience with chiropractic. I grew up with it as a teenager. It was just what we did as a family. We'd all get adjusted and then go for a walk around the block before we drove, drove home. Yep. And it's been integral to uh, not just injury prevention, but overall wellness. So for those that perhaps aren't familiar with the benefits of chiropractic and that uh, holistic philosophy, can you give us your interpretation of chiropractic care and how you go about it? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I get the, the fundamentally what chiropractic is uh, is about restoring and optimizing the function of the spine and the nervous system. So we have this understanding in chiropractic that the brain communicates with the body via the nervous system. Every cell, every tissue, every organ in the body um, is under the influence of the brain. Yet that precious, delicate nervous system, yet so powerful, but it's so delicate, is protected by the spine. And a spine that's out of balance or a spine that's not functioning properly runs the risk of interfering with that brain-body connection. So as chiropractors, if we can restore or optimize the health and the function of the spine, we allow that free-flowing communication between the brain and the body. So I, I believe there's probably four, three layers, maybe four layers of chiropractic or the benefits of chiropractic. And the first one would probably be injury management. So people come to us and they're already injured looking for solution to get out of pain. Um, and I think that's often done in collaboration with other practitioners, um, looking at removing stress from an area that's inflamed or there's um, irritation or dysfunction, muscle spasm, etc. The next level is more moving beyond just managing injuries but preventing them. Um, a body that works well, a body that moves well, in my opinion, is less likely to get injured. And what I find ironic about working with runners and triathletes is they're two sports where we use the left and the right side of the body symmetrically. And people often say, oh, I've got a sore right knee or a sore right foot or a sore right calf. It must be because of the volume of running I did last week or it must be because I've got new shoes. It's like, well, but you ran the same distance with the left foot as you did with the right foot. So if it was just a, if it was merely a consequence of new runners or bad surface or volume of training or you would have the problem on both sides of your body, for example. So if you're doing a sport where you use both sides of the body evenly and yet you're getting one-sided injuries, there's an imbalance in the body somewhere. There's a loss of symmetrical function. So I think what chiropractic does very well, particularly with our sport, is restoring balance and harmony to reduce those unilateral injuries or those one-sided injuries. The next level of chiropractic care, I would say, is in performance. I honestly feel as a, as a practitioner and as a patient – that chiropractic's like my little secret weapon. Mm. <laughs> that, that I don't under, I guess, and it, I, maybe I'm biased because it is my vocation, but I've been, and I've been adjusted my entire life. Um, I can't imagine that I would have achieved what I've achieved. And I've had some injuries, but minimal really for what I put my body through and particularly the history that I've had. I've, I've barely had an injury that stopped me doing my training and my racing. Um, and I don't think that's by luck. I honestly don't oh, think no. that chiropractic is, has been fundamental to that in just not just preventing injuries but optimising performance. You know, if you want to 
run efficiently, you need a pelvis that moves efficiently. Um, if you want to breathe efficiently, you need a diaphragm and a thorax that expands and that dilates and, you know, allows for exhalation and dilation. I'm sorry, inhalation and exhalation well and smoothly. Um, and you look at posture in terms of forward head posture, for example, we're all on our screens more, it's distorting our cervical spine and that has massive influence on global well-being. Um, and then beyond that, I think chiropractic is, I guess it, it, to me it works on a very energetic level as well, that when we're bodies in flow, we're in flow with life more. Um, so, I, to, yeah, I think, you know, chiropractic works well working with other professions, and in, particularly in the sporting arena and with other healthcare modalities, but it also, it, it's just, I, I just would never go without being adjusted as an athlete personally. Um, yeah, no, I absolutely so agree. I summated that. You did brilliantly and uh, <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Everyone needs a team. Uh, I have no idea how athletes go at it alone, uh, either without a coach or without a chiropractor or without uh, a myotherapist for soft tissue release uh, or without technique assistance, etc. We need to utilise professionals that's what you and I are trained for uh, and they need to be utilized and also encourage that uh, interconnected communication between coach and chiropractor and my therapist and physio to make it more cohesive that was a key message from episode four on the podcast with Greg Day sports physio uh, about how to make your or help your team work better together uh, so yeah I couldn't agree more integrate it wholeheartedly and I think uh, I find people maybe book in for a chiropractic session or start to see a chiropractor when they're in pain as you described when when really the I see the value in chiropractic for, for maintenance uh, for that neurological function in particular so it's not just about neck pain or back pain which is a common um, misunderstanding yeah, so for those that uh, perhaps haven't sought out chiropractic care before, uh, you can get in touch with Carmen and she might be able to um, direct you to someone in your area. If you're a Victorian, uh, both Carmen and I can and direct you to some ideas. Uh, thank you so much for our chat today. We've covered massive ground. <laughs> Thanks for your time, Katie, and for inviting me to be a part of your podcast and I hope what I've shared has been insightful for some or, or got others thinking about their journey and um, it's been an honour. So I really no, appreciate it. I've absolutely loved <laughs> our conversation. Tell uh, everyone where they can find you online and obviously follow your Ultraman journey. Um, probably Insta's where, Instagram's where I'm most active at the moment and um, they can just find me under the, the innate, I-N-N-A-T-E, athlete, the innate athlete. Um, I do have a website. It's very basic at this point in time, but um, www.theathlete.com. Oh, the innateathlete.com, yes. sorry. Um, that's probably the two best places to, to contact me um, yeah, from there. Brilliant. You are an inspiration. Thank you. <laughs> keep up all the hard work. Keep looking after yourself. Keep doing what you do best. Hold yourself together, your body together, your mind together for these final six weeks. And look forward to celebrating at the end of that 84.4 kilometre run in Noosa. Thank you so much, Katie. You're welcome. Bye.